Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. Why don't you all stand up with me? Cindy's going to lead us in, but I just want to tell you this. I felt like the Lord said before we start service to commission you into the anointing of the Spirit of the Sword of the Spirit. I'm going to share later on this encounter I had when I was up in Reading uh, that's tied to an open vision I had in 2016. But what I heard the Lord say is that the sword of the Spirit is the plumb line of the kingdom that will open up revival. And it first has to begin with you. And so I've had this sword in my office since, I don't know, 2012. And I felt like the Lord says, pull out the sword. It's time to pull out the swords. So I just want you just to open up your hearts and your minds right now. And here's what it is. You're not surrendering to Jesus underneath the sword of oppression. You're surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus under the commissioning of the King, which means you have a choice. And I felt like the Lord says it's time to enter into the season where my church is so alive, shut, that dead things cannot ever have a voice in her again, so that the world which is dead and lives according to the knowledge of good and evil, suddenly the people who don't know the knowledge of good and evil, all they know is the knowledge of God, they become the encounter. It becomes the plumb line where we enter into His presence of overflow. And I just prophesy over you right now, I commission you now in the name of Jesus. Make your decision right now. Surrender fully to His commissioning. Or you can choose to continue to do things your way and He won't look at you in shame. But I will tell you, you'll miss out on what the Lord's about to do in this place, in this city, in this region. The Lord's calling, tell him I said hello. In this city, in this region, but specifically in your families right now. And right now, I just got the picture of Braveheart when he rode in front of his soldiers and he talked about freedom. So they can take your land, but they can never take your freedom. The enemy can throw a lot of things your way, but he can never take your freedom because your freedom is found in the person of Jesus. Come on now. So I release right now the anointing of intimacy in this room. Stir it up, Lord God, as we enter into the greater thing. You know, last week, I'm just going to remind you guys, because we didn't actually plan that. We didn't plan this. I want you guys to know, if you weren't here last week, the Lord released a prophetic vision during worship of swords dropping and people needing to grab their swords, the sword of authority. And it's the Logos word and the Rhema. The sword is the word of the Lord. And it's what comes out of your mouth. So even as we worship, that's why we choose songs that declare the kingdom. That's why we're careful to not have songs that don't line up with the word, but that we declare songs that are prophesying and that are interceding. So we don't just sing songs. We're prophesying. We're interceding. We're declaring. We're worshiping. 
And there's authority that's released when we enter in. I don't care what it sounds like, you guys. Worship, make a joyful noise. As you enter in, pay attention to the lyrics that you're singing and declaring because you're partnering with God. Amen. We thank you, Jesus. This morning, um, my wife and I, we were reading through the Bible and we were in the 17th chapter of Joshua. And I really feel like it's a word for the house right now. And also carries um, a word from Bethel that we just got back from. In verse 14, it starts, Then the sons of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me only one lot and one portion for an inheritance, since I am a numerous people whom the Lord has thus far blessed? And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself. There in the land of the Perizzites and of the Raphim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And the sons of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the valley land have chariots of iron. Both those who are in Bethshean and its towns, and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph. To Ephraim and Manasseh saying, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one lot only. But the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it. And to its farthest borders it shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. What changed there? It was the same enemy, but this time they were being sent. He didn't say, here's some extra swords, here's some extra chariots to fight it. He went from complaining and pointing out the problem to being a sent one. That's what changed. They were sent. And we are sent to this region. We are sent to our workplaces. We are sent to our families. We are sent once. And as I was reading this, not only did I want to release this, but I felt in that moment that through Jay sending us, we were being called to dive in this morning. That the oil for this season, the oil of last season is not good enough for for this season. The wine of last season is not good enough for this season. There's something more that we're stepping into. We are on the banks of the, the Jordan River. We're entering into that new promised land. So here's what I want you to do is enter into the place of your sanctified imagination. And the first place is obviously we could talk about the land we're moving into, the city that we're taking and loving well to be able to bring transformation, the region that we're going to spread the oil of the Lord to. But it first begins, transformation first begins with the individual heart. So I want you to close your eyes and I just want you with the Lord. You heard that scripture. I want you to imagine the enemy or the obstacle that's before you that you felt like you could not take the promised land that God had for you. You could not get traction. You couldn't get to the other side. And I want you to imagine as the Lord walk onto the field and he just looks at it and he looks to you and he looks at them and says, it looks a little intimidating, doesn't it? And in your heart, you're like, 
Yeah, it sure does. And the Lord says, watch this. And what I see the Lord do is he just speaks a word and says, shrink. And all of a sudden, the thing that was actually a full-size chariot became a matchbox car. The reality is it's always been a matchbox car. For those that are seated with him in heavenly places, which if you're born again, that's where you're seated. You didn't earn it. You didn't have to do anything to get there. All you said is, I surrender and accept Jesus. Your shed blood on the cross, I surrender and accept your resurrection, Jesus, and that sat you in the place with him in heavenly places, which allows you now to look at the thing that was so big and suddenly it becomes just a line in the sand. So right now, I just want you to say, Lord, I break the agreement that I made with how big the chariot was, with how big the enemy was, how big the problems look, and I take my seat with you in heavenly places, and I watch those things shrink to their appropriate level. Shoot. And in that place right now, I see you and your heart begins to rise up. I want you to say this with me. And I take my place of prominence in the land. So as an apostle in the region, in the house, as a father, I just send you. Take the land. Take the land of your heart and establish the kingdom of Jesus. Take the land where you work and establish the kingdom of Jesus. Take the dark places and light it up with the kingdom of Jesus. I place a sword in your hand, the sword of the Spirit that now becomes the plumb line by which everything else must be measured by. Step into it now. Shot. Things are breaking up now. If you're just feeling the Lord on you right now, I want you to begin to move your way to the altar. And we're just going to continue the worship. I was praying over someone earlier. And I heard enough is enough. And I felt the Father really strong on that. So whatever it is that you've had enough of, He's saying it with you. So let's just say enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough, Lord. We're saying get your hands off. And Lord, come in and move. Like a raging river, sweep it all away so nothing is left. I just say, Lord, come and have your way. Come and have your way, Lord. We thank you that today is the day of breakthrough. Today is the day of enough. Today is the day that we move forward. We are no longer stuck. I just see like boots. Like when you're on the riverbank, you're trying to get to the river, but you're stuck in the bank of the mud. I say enough is enough. We move on in Jesus' name. Woo! Amen, amen. My bride has got a really good word. She released on Facebook, but I felt like we're supposed to. We're going to take our first fruits offering. So just real quick before I give, or Kelly gives a word. Um, we dedicate the first Sunday of every month to receive an offering together, although you can give throughout the rest of the month easily. 
but there was something about making it a part of worship as a family. This is a family event, right? When we come together, this isn't about a corporate event. This isn't about an organizational event. This is a family event where we get to worship the Lord together. And one of the ways he said to do it is, is worship me with your finances. And so I felt like uh, we're, we're going to have word for that. But if you need an offering envelope, would you just go and raise up your hand and our ushers are going to pass those things out. Um, you can obviously make your checks directly to Legacy Church. I will say, too, if you're wanting to give specifically to the building and the land, uh, for those that aren't aware of it, we've, we've got in the process of closing on six and a half acres of land. Um, you can do that. Make sure you put that in the memo line on it. We know we're, we're quickly on our way of getting to there so we can close soon and throw a party out at the land and occupy the land. But I just want to make sure you guys take advantage of that. You can see the other ways to give. So, But Kelly, why don't you go ahead and just release that word because I feel like this word is what we're giving into. Sure, yeah. Um, so I was actually praying into the election coming up. Because voting week, this week, if you haven't voted, if you haven't done early voting, vote. Get out and vote. We are, um, that's one of the ways that we steward the opportunities God's given us. So I was praying into elections and, you know, what's going on in Texas? What's the climate? What's the season? And the Lord told me that Texas is entering a mothering season. We're entering a mothering season. We've received the seed of the nation, all these transplants, companies, people moving into Texas. And so we've received the seed of a nation. And we have the opportunity to either miscarry or to steward the seed that's been placed within us. And I'm telling you, church, we can nurture. We can, we can love the seed of the nation. And if we love well the seed that's been placed in us in Texas, then we have the ability to mother the heart of a nation and send it back out to, um, to really have an impact on the nation. Okay, so I want to encourage you, if you encounter somebody who wasn't born and raised here, let them know that the culture of Texas is of love, that this is a place to be nurtured, that this is a place where you're going to encounter God, and you're going to encounter the power of God that changes our lives, right? And so that's, that's what we do as mothers. We take in a seed, we grow it, and we release it, Right? Um, and so I want to encourage you with whatever seed God's put in your life, whether it's a person or a business or uh, a neighbor or uh, something to pray into, go at it joyfully, right? Um, it shouldn't be a burden, right? Um, this is, I felt this so heavily this last week. I physically was manifesting this, like my pants didn't fit when we went to Bethel this week. And I'm like, why are my pants not fitting all of a sudden? My stomach was all swollen. This is the weirdest thing. I was physically manifesting it. And when we came back, okay, I'm back to normal. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, you know, when you feel a word, you, sometimes, you know, when you, 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 carry the weight of something that it's not a burden right it's a blessing but but there's a physical representation of that and so if that's something where god gives you a word and he says this is yours to carry for a while um i want to encourage you to take that to the lord joyfully in prayer and and steward that seed that he's put in you um, because he has something he wants to bless both what comes out of you and he's going to bring a blessing to you everybody who's a mother in here raise your hand right. you know the blessing of motherhood right? You know the blessing of sending out, right? The, of bringing something into the world. And so I just want to encourage you guys. I bless you guys. I bless this church to be a mothering house. Texas has been a fathering uh, state. 
in my mind for a long time. We've pioneered in space. We've pioneered a lot of businesses. We've pioneered. We've been visionaries. We've been trailblazers. The city was founded as a trailblazing city um, by pioneers, right? They came here and, and literally carved out a path to make New Braunfels, right? Um, so a lot of Texas has been um, initiated in fathering, but we're entering a mothering season. So it's time to be not just the alpha, but bring the omega forth, right? He's a finisher. He's the perfecter. What he started, the good work he started in us, he's going to finish. And so I just release that over you is that we are going to finish well, Texas, and we are going to bring about what God has in this land. So I want you to stand up with me. Yeah, come on. That was a good word. You're, you're going to pray into it. Um, there was juice on when she said it's both the alpha and the omega, the finisher. And I, and I felt like there's some folks in here that you've, you began your walk of faith and you really did initiate faith. And he initiated with you, but you've pursued it. But there's been some weariness in doing good. And it's been this question, is God actually going to finish what he began? I mean, you know with your mind the word that says God always completes what he begins. He who began a good work in you will complete it. You know that here, but there's been something inside of your heart that's been going, but I think I might not be the one that he's talking about. And I felt like when she said the Alpha and the Omega, there's something, and specifically in the area of finances too, that there's going to be a finishing work of finances that's going to push you over the other side into a level of prosperity in every area of your life. And I just want you to hear this. Prosperity looks different according to the person who possesses it. I've been in Africa. They didn't have what I had, and yet they prospered. There's something about the heart of prosperity, and I feel like the Lord's going to prosper in this word. So um, if you've got your gift ready, why don't you go ahead and just lift up your gift, um, and then Kelly's just going to release, an, I know you imparted, but why don't you go and pray over this? Yeah, and specifically that Alpha and Omega whole word. All right, Lord, you are faithful to finish what you started. And we thank you for the seed that you put in our hands. We thank you that there's always multiplication with what you give us. So the, at the very least, the least of us will have 10 spiritual children or 50 or 100. Father, I pray for multiplication of finances and resources, multiplication of blessings in every way, multiplication of joy. Lord, in every way that you desire to prosper us, we receive the seed you give us. And we won't let it fall. We steward what you give us. And we thank you, God, that it's going to come back, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing in every life here. In Jesus' name. Somebody give him a shout of praise. That's good. So if you have your gift, we have offering baskets on the front here. You could drop it off, or you could obviously clearly drop it in the back of the room. You didn't do it to be seen, but that's what mothering looks like. You bring your children to the altar. You bring your children and, and have them participate in the activities of the kingdom. How do they learn? By observation. By observing fathers and mothers. It's so, so it, just, it struck me when you walked up. That was so good. Bless my heart a lot. Oh, man. This morning's already been so rich. I told Kelly, I sat down. I was like, man, I thought it was like 1130, 1145. And I looked at the clock. It was like 1103. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, the Lord is multiplying our time right now just of encounters. It's, it's so incredibly good. Um, I felt like the Lord said to, this morning to, to share some history with you. Um, as I was praying through, 
and I shared this with the worship team a little bit this morning. Um, we went to the Bethel Leaders Advance. We've been part of the Leaders Network for, for a number of years, and, and if you're not familiar with them, out in Redding, California, Bill Johnson, Chris Valton, Danny Silk, um, Paul Manwaring, all those guys pioneered what we're really walking in right now. And so we've been interconnected into it. But the very first time um, I went was in 2012. And what the Lord said this morning is, I am going to share some words with you. But he said specifically, there needs to be an impartation of encounter. And it's going to be an encounter. And just like we hear in, in uh, Revelation where it says, the, the testimony of Jesus becomes the spirit of a prophecy. And so when we tell a healing testimony, what are we saying? Hey, God's already done this. And then somebody in the room's going, I don't need to be healed of that. But if God's done it for you, maybe he'll do it for me, right? And so you reach out and you, it becomes a prophetic word for you to reach out. Um, I, would, I would tell you, if you can read through the scriptures, but the woman with the uh, issue of blood that was healed as Jesus was on his way to go heal somebody. And she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if you understand some of the, the history, she actually heard a testimony about, about things that were happening. And she's like, oh, I know, I, I, just, I just need to get proximity. I just need to touch him. And so when she did that, she got radically healed in a moment. And Jesus says, whoa, what just left me? He could feel her pulling out of him what was needed for the moment. Sometimes we come to Jesus and we're like, just give me what you have. And there's, I think there's other times where Jesus says, Will you actually pull it out of me? Maturity looks like this. Come like a little child expecting. And I'm, just, I'm telling you right now, my little kids, is, they're getting older now. But, but, they, but remember that, that stage where you told them no, but they didn't take no as an answer? And then they kept bugging and like, okay, no, 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 no. And at some points, I mean, we didn't do it all the time, but sometimes we just broke down and said, here. What were they doing? They were pulling out of us a yes. Shoot. I just feel like the Lord is saying, just how serious are you in pursuit of the kingdom? Are you willing to pull out of me, the heart of the Lord, the yes that I want to give you? Because his answer is always what? Yes and, and amen. Right? It's this joint. He goes, yes, that's the cry of your heart. What's interesting about the woman with the issue of blood later on, what did they do with Peter's cloths? Or was it Peter or Paul? Paul, how did they know that healing would come from the anointing on a cloth? I guarantee you there was a connection point to the woman who actually touched the hem of his garment. And her testimony went out where people said, ah, if he could do it that way, I bet you if I just get the hem of somebody's garment, as Paul's walking through, he's anointed. If I could just get a cloth, if I could just get a piece of his tallit, then I could actually be healed. It came from a testimony that was told and was told and was told. And there was people who actually pulled the yes out of God in that place, right? You can't strong arm God. You're not going to make God do what he doesn't want to do. But what I'm telling you is I think he's looking on the planet. What does he say? When I return on the earth, will I find what? Faith. Faith. What is faith? Stepping fully into the confidence that God is who he says he is. And pulling from his hand what he's freely wanting to give to you. Sometimes we go, God, just drop into my hands, drop in my hands. He's like, my hands are here. You got to take it out of my hands. God, will you just touch my heart? He goes, my heart's right here. How about you just pull it out of my heart and put it in your heart? It requires a different level of pursuit. 
It requires a different level of intimacy and intentionality. And so um, I was just thinking about these stories about how we're moving into a new season. Over the summer, I released a word that said, what worked in the previous season was good. There was nothing wrong with it, but it was insufficient for the season that we were stepping into. There was actually an elevation of new things, right? And so what you tolerated in one season could no longer be tolerable in this season. What, what, what felt like full in the previous season, suddenly you realize, oh, there's more to shake down and press down. There's more fullness available to me. So it's not just the negative being removed. It's actually this place of, I'm full of the Lord. And all of a sudden, I realized while I was there in Reading, the stories and the testimonies about what we'd experienced over the last 10 years began to come back to me, and I realized the Lord was doing this. He was just shaken down, and all these good testimonies and all these good gifts and all these words began to settle down deeper into my core. And I just started to realize, I've got room for more. Because I've been shaken together, pressed down, overflowing. You know, what's interesting about that verse is it says, it's talking about grain. And you know when you have so much grain that one more additional grain causes everything else to fall out. That's full. It doesn't take a big movement. It doesn't take you having a bowling ball and thrown into the bin grain, right? So it explodes up. It's one seed, one piece of grain, drop back in, and then that's the, that's the catalyst for overflow. And I feel like that's what the Lord's calling us into. So I, let me read a couple verses, and then I just want to tell you stories of my history, our history, so it can become a prophetic word and an invitation for you to step into encounter. So in Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you would just flip over there real quick, I'm not going to unpack a lot, just a few verses, but I feel like you've got to see it with your own eyes. If you're there, say I am. All right. I love hearing the pages turn. I'm going to skip through some verses, but I just want you to pick up on, in my, the title of my Bible for this section says, Israel's History After the Exodus. Israel's History After the Exodus. This is Moses, the father of Israel, retelling the stories about where they came from because there was something that they were supposed to step into, but he had to replay their history with God in order to be able to get them to step into something more. And so verse 1 says this, These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. Notice that they're they're by the Jordan River. They're on just outside the promised land. Verse 3, in the 40th year. Let me hear you say 40th year. So there's a history that's passed by. There's been a generation that did get up to the promised land and was too afraid of the giants except for two men, uh, Joshua and Caleb. And it said this, he's like, man, you guys are still worried. You're still caught up in the giants because you're still caught up where I took you out of in Egypt. You never left Egypt, even though physically you're standing on the banks of the promised land that you're about to enter into. But in here, you never left Egypt behind is really what God said to his people. And Moses is retelling the story now. It's that generation that's actually passed. And now the children of that generation are actually ready to take the promised land. So he's telling them the family story. In the 40th year, on the first day, let me hear you say the first day. I just highlighted that. That spoke to me. There was a new beginning. 40 years, but it's the first day. 
Sometimes we look at our history with God and I need to realize this is day one for me. This is day one of a new thing. I've got a rich history. I need to remember my history. I need to remember where He's taken me from. But today is a new day. He wants to do a new thing different than He ever did in the last 40 years. The 40 years will give me a context for the new thing. But the 40 years have passed. There's a new thing ready for you. And it says this, Moses spoke to the sons of Israel. Let me hear you say the sons of Israel. You know why it's saying that? Because they were literally the next generation of the ones that were orphaned, too afraid of the giants. He's speaking to the next generation. He's talking to sons. You know who he was talking to for 40 years? Orphans. Slaves. Mentality. They never left Egypt, even though they stood on the banks of a promised land. But now there's a new generation that are actually sons. There's that Malachi verse where he says, in the last days, I'm going to return the heart of the father to the children and the children to the father. This is a fathering movement. And and what the word Kelly gave is, that's not incongruent. The father, fathers and mothers. You know who mothers? The Holy Spirit. Who gave birth to Jesus? Holy Spirit. Yes, I know it was Mary. But who was there? It was the Holy Spirit. Who raised Jesus from the grave? It wasn't Jesus on his own. It was the Holy Spirit giving birth to a new life. This is the mother that nurtured and gave life to someone in a moment like that. And in the same way, you're standing on the banks of the river saying, you are my sons. Sons are ready to take the promised land. Because sons don't have to wonder if there's enough provision. Sons don't have to wonder, will they be protected Sons don't have to wonder, where are we going to live? They know they have the Father's house. Sons don't have to wonder, am I special to my Father? Because they know they're special just as they know their brother and their sister is special. There's no competition in sonship. We've been talking for a number of years in this house. How do we father sons and daughters? But here's what I'm going to tell you right now. It's sons and daughters that must become fathers and mothers in order for it to move into another generation beyond the 40 years. By this point, the young ones have now become 40 plus years old. They're they're ready to take that stump, but we need to look with these eyes. They're that transition generation that says, we're not our parents who came out of Egypt. And we haven't yet been the generation that possesses the promised land, but we're carrying this tension point between leaving the the testimony of leaving Egypt and we're about to take into a promised land. They had to move into this position of saying, how are we going to father and mother the promised land? See, a son knows, I've received an inheritance, this is my inheritance, it's good for me, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm telling you is a father and mother knows the inheritance they've received is not just for them, but it's for a whole other generation that's never been born yet. It says a good father leaves an inheritance to his children's children's children. Abraham, a thousand generations. And he said yes to God. Where am I saying yes to? Leave the land. You can't stay here. I'm going to take you to a land that you don't even know about. And what it was is he wasn't calling him to a land. He was calling him to a people. Because the next part of that word to Abraham is, and I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. And the nations will be blessed because of you. The word had nothing to do with land. It had everything to do with fathers and mothers 
raising sons and daughters who understood their history and could take it to another level to release a generation of sons and daughters who become fathers, mothers, and it becomes this ongoing peace that goes through a thousand generations. You sit here today because of the yes of Abraham. He, I believe, he, I think in some ways, his sanctified imagination had a picture of you in his mind. He's like, is that biblical? I think when he said a thousand generations, I think in his heart sprung up this desire to see a people who looked like Jesus. A desire to see people who heard the voice of the Lord and could respond to the voice of the Lord, who could carry his kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. I think that's what rose up inside of his heart and why he said yes, even though he didn't even know where the dirt was at yet. And that's where these people were at. It says, Moses spoke to the sons of Israel in accordance with everything the Lord had commanded him to declare to them. Let me hear you say, to declare. I'm not just telling you stories. I'm declaring your history. I'm not just declaring your history. I'm declaring your future. Yeah. You've got to step into this place where you say, that's for me. We're at a pivotal moment in history. Yes, go vote on Tuesday if you haven't already voted. But I'm telling you this right now. Regardless of what happens in the elections, hear me on this. You have the authority to father and mother a nation into revival. And it doesn't matter who's in charge. When we can move off the political mountain as the top mountain, and back to the kingdom mountain as the primary only mountain that all the other mountains have to bow to, which includes the mountain of the church. Sure. There's some ways we've, the church has made itself the kingdom, and it's not. We're just the people of the kingdom. We're a family that carries authority. Look what it says in verse 6. The Lord our God spoke to us at Herb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set out on your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites. And it continues on. Stephen, Pastor Stephen talked about that word, that Joshua lived out this word. Go take the property, go take the land. And what I felt like the Lord says this, mountains can be good and bad. There can be mountains that say, you say to this mountain, speak to it, be tossed in the sea, and it will be tossed in the sea. We always go to the negative on that. What's the obstacle? What's the trial? Who's people against me? How's the devil working against my life? And I see that as a mountain. What's the thorn in my flesh? What am I dealing with? All these things. And that's legitimate. That can become a mountain. And it says this, you've stayed at the mountain long enough. It's time to enter into your promised land. You've become comfortable at the mountain of the problem. And it's time to leave the mountain and enter into the hill country, the promised land I'm going to give you. Possess the land. On the flip side of this, it could also be the place like Mount Sinai, which was a good mountain. This is a place where Moses encountered God in the burning bush. It was a good mountain. This is the place that God told Moses, bring Israel back to this mountain so I can instruct you. They can see me. They can discover who I am. They can learn my ways. 
I'm going to make a covenant with them, not just you, Moses. It was the Mount Sinai. This is the place of coming back with promise. And yet God says, you've stayed here long enough. It's time to stop camping around an old word. It's time to stop camping around old belief systems. It's time to stop being comfortable when we come to church and the temperature's right, the music's right, and the people are right, and I love my people. And that's not bad. I'm saying, like, I, I'm, I love being in comfortable family. We were at the Bethel Leaders Advance. There was eight, 600, 700 people. We were at home with our people as much as we're at home with you guys here. But what I'm saying is it has to stop becoming about just that and says, what's the promised land about? The promised land is not primarily about where you're going to live or where you're going to have an authority, all that stuff. What it is, is it's the place that you're going to have a place of kingdom influence to bring transformation. See, sons look at the promised land as, ooh, God wants to give me something, I'm happy. And that's okay. The next layer is this. The moving into maturity is this. Now as a father whose children are growing old and I look towards grandparenthood, point, 10, 15 years from now. But I'm just saying... It may happen sooner, but who knows? That's the word of the Lord. I'm looking forward, forward to that. And what am I doing? I'm making decisions differently than I did when I was 20 years old. And I knew I was a son who had an inheritance. Now I'm looking, what part of this is supposed to be given to my great-great-grandchildren? When I preach, what, what message will become the foundation that they build their life on. What story in my life, what failure in my life that God came and redeemed will become the place where they never have to enter that mountain. You've got to make a decision today to leave the mountain that's comfortable. You have to leave the, make a decision to leave the mountain that's regret. And you need to lent start out and go into the promised land. Look what it says, verse 8. First word he uses, see. Let me hear you say see. You have to observe. You have to get vision for this. See, I've placed the land before you. Go in. Take possession of the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob and their descendants after them. Listen to the history. This is the land. This means that Abraham went to his death not seeing the possession of a promise. And he was okay with that. This means that Isaac died not seeing the fulfillment of the promised land. But his father, Abraham, told him about his encounters. Our family, son, Isaac, this is what we carry. There's a people who will come long after us that will carry the promises of God. And Isaac went to his death not seeing that. Jacob died with his son Joseph in Egypt. But he died yet not seeing the promised land. If you can't go beyond yourself, you'll never be able to give what God wants to give to you. You'll never be able to steward it. We'll never be able to steward the nation that we live in because we'll always be voting just based off of the current issue of the day rather than how do I establish as it is in heaven on the earth? 
Nothing else will satisfy. Lord, what are you saying? Who are you speaking to? What does it look like? Give me vision. That's what we move off of is the vision. See! The land's before you. Now possess it. What does that mean for you? I'm speaking to a room full of people who each have a different story, a different testimony, a different calling, a different time. But let me tell you what the common call we have. You have to see the promise and you have to possess the land that God's called you to possess. Some of the land I will possess won't be the land you're going to possess. Some of the land you're going to possess is not going to be the land I possess. But together we're a family that possesses the land. So you have to know these promises and you have to step out and set the tone that says this, I will possess the land in my day that God's given me, and yet, knowing there's still going to be a future land that my descendants will still possess. That's far greater. We always talk about my ceiling has become my children's floor, but my ceiling's getting higher every day. It's the same thing with this. They will possess not my starting point. They will possess beyond my ending point and know how to steward it for another generation that comes after them. Flip over to the next page. Well, my Bible's the next page. Verse 30. Maybe it's not your next page. That sounds like a prophetic word. Time to turn the page. Verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will Himself fight for you just as He did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. Here's the second part you have to understand about possessing the land. You're not going by yourself. The Lord Himself goes with you. The Lord Himself fights for you. The Lord Himself stands with you. That means no matter what giant you see in the promised land, He's already got to bow to the one that's with you. The people of Israel that came out of Egypt were so enthralled with slavery. They were so enthralled with slavery that when they saw a giant... All they saw was an impossibility except for Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb said this, they will become like what before us? Grasshoppers. I heard it this week and it made a lot of sense. Who was it that ate grasshoppers in the wilderness? John the Baptist. Is it just possible that John the Baptist was eating the leftovers from the giants? I'm not saying he physically turned, let's not go weird. (laughs) But you understand this? John was able to step into and become the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant. Why? Because these people possessed the land. I would propose to you, John never would have stepped into his promised land if the people here had never stepped into theirs. And there wouldn't have been an Israel for Jesus to come and save. You've got to think multi-generational. I know I haven't gotten to stories yet, but I feel like the Lord's setting something up. Look at verse 38. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, shall himself enter there. Encourage him, for he will give it to Israel as an inheritance. A father who was once a son. I want you to get this picture. Moses was the father, spiritual father of Joshua. But Moses, the father, could not enter into the promised land. He was full of strength and energy. But his journey had to stop because of a choice he made early on. But he was not sad about it. He was okay with the fact, but my son Joshua is going to continue on the work after me. And so this is the moment that Joshua is no longer a son. Now Joshua has become a father, and fathers give inheritance. Moreover, your little ones 
This, I love this. Whom you said would become plunder to the giants. Isn't that amazing? Your little ones, whom you said would become plunder to the giants, but now your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good and evil, shall enter there, and I will give it to them, and they shall take possession of it. It's interesting, I've never seen this verse in my Bible before, even though I've read it a thousand times. And I need to go back and read it in a different translation. But when I saw your sons this day have no knowledge of good and evil, what does that spark a memory of? What got Adam and Eve in trouble? The knowledge of good and evil. What pulled Adam and Eve out of their promised land? The knowledge of good and evil. So their parents who came out of Egypt knew God according to the knowledge of good and evil, which is why they could not possess the promised land. But their children, I think, I think their parents realized the mistake they made and said this, I'm going to make sure that my children can inherit the next land. I might not be there because I still see the knowledge of good and evil, but I'm going to make sure the next generation only knows the knowledge of God. They got kicked out, Adam and Eve, because of the knowledge of good and evil, but were invited back in because of the knowledge of God, the experiential knowledge. The fruit of life in the Garden of Eden was the knowledge of who God is because you eat from him, he's your source and your source alone. I'm just saying maybe God's taking you to a place where you've got to finally lay down the mountain of the knowledge of good and evil and stop judging yourself or others or this planet according to a fruit that kills you. Instead, eat the fruit of life that gives you the knowledge of who he is where suddenly you can see the land and take possession of it. A lot of you during worship this morning, I'm always really careful during worship not to interrupt people's worship, but I was moving throughout because I felt like the Lord says, go and begin to prophesy destiny over people through worship. What is it? Prophesying to life. Let the knowledge of good and evil die, but step into the fullness of life. That's going to be the fruit of this house. That's what we're going to give birth to. Elon Musk came to Austin thinking he came to Texas because it's better business environment for, for business. But I believe that he's actually an apostle who's not yet saved. Because he's an apostle to the business world, SpaceX, everything. You think about what he's pioneered into and done what others said were impossible. Yet he didn't know Jesus from a hole in the wall. And so God says, ah, I'm going to take him from where he's at and bring him to Texas so that the middle of the heart, of the Father's heart, I'm going to make sure that he discovers who I am. You're saying, is he going to be saved? I believe he is. You know why I believe? Because he came to our promised land. This is our promised land. And we are fathers and mothers who father the Gentiles, who fathers and mothers the nations until they come into a place of knowing who they are. He'll have a choice to make, but I'm just telling you, it's God's divine setup plan. While we're there, I'll just say Joe Rogan for arts and entertainment. Same thing. He's in Austin. He came to Austin. Change and shift the way that you think about things. No knowledge of good and evil. So let me tell you some stories of our history. I was, 10 years ago, 
made our first trip. Those who've been through the membership class have heard this, but you need to understand what you see right now is not how we started. We weren't given birth in a revival culture. We were given birth in a good Bible culture, but it was a lot of self-effort because we did not know the Holy Spirit. Part of that was because in 2000, uh, no, wait, in 2000, when was it? Uh, we were 23, 24. We were leading a single-parent ministry. I had no grid for the Holy Spirit. I knew Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because I was a Catholic. And I still, I, I'm a fulfilled one as far as I know. I, I'm, I have no, this, this would be public here, I have no problem with the Catholic Church whatsoever. They love Jesus. They've, they've got a call to Jesus. Even though I might differ in some theology, what's that matter, right? They need Jesus every bit as much, and they've actually stewarded the Holy Spirit long, long, longer than the Protestants did. Let's just put it that way. Anyway had a woman who came in who had been horribly abused, um, who had gone to a healing meeting in New Mexico because she was severely type 2 diabetic, was told, you're, you don't have enough faith, that's why you're, you're not healed, you're still taking your insulin. She went back to her, her uh, hotel that night, went into a coma. So 10 years later, she enters into our ministry. I'm 23, 24. I don't know enough to get the room wet, right? Just, but I just like, I'm loving people. And I go, ah, something in my heart says, that's not Jesus. And I begin to educate myself with the knowledge of good and evil. And I educated myself into a pharisaical nature against the move of the Spirit. So we started the church, 2007, loving Jesus, loving people, but not really because we didn't have the Holy Spirit, the only one that actually would transform them. So three years later, we're, we're going through this process. My mother-in-law invites us to go to... Um, to a conference up in South Lake uh, Gateway Church, says, I'm, I'm a, I've already booked you a hotel, booked you the tickets. We'll watch the kids. Our, our youngest, David, was six months old at the time. His sister was just a little over two and a half years old at the time. We hadn't slept in two and a half, three years. <laughs> those who have got that age group, you understand what that is. And I told, told Kelly, this is probably one of those wackadoodle churches. But good Lord, we haven't slept in three years. We'll go the first night out of honor and then go back to the hotel and sleep. The divine setup of the Lord. First song of worship. I wasn't looking for God. I was tired. I was burnt out from ministry. I was at the place that when I preached, I had the magic marker and I was having to mark out whole swaths of scripture in order to be able to support my theology. I was tired and I heard a voice that said, JJ, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, I knew the voice of Jesus. And I kind of had an inkling who the Father was. And I go, that's not their voice. And immediately I knew, but this is God. So Father, Son, <gasps> it was just that realization. Fear of the Lord came on. Holy Spirit, how have I persecuted you? And he says, you're zealous to protect people from being abused and misused confused, any of that stuff. And I love that. I made you that way. But you're keeping them from the only one that will transform them, and that's me. I'd like to say that I shook or had fire come down or started speaking in tongues. That wasn't my manifestation. You know what my manifestation was? Fear of the Lord. We went back and we read Robert Morris's book called The Blessed Life, which is about money. And we just got so wrecked that night going, how did I miss this. But his voice was so kind. It wasn't shame. It was, hey, 
It's time to leave the mountain. You've been camping out for three years. You can't do this on your own. This mountain's going to kill you. It will destroy your family if you don't leave this mountain. So we did. We began to pursue the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell the whole story. But I think it's a key story. 2012, a friend of mine who lives in San Antonio now, but Andrew and I flew out to Reading to go to a conference over the summer. And it was a kingdom culture conference. And I remember sitting, they have this prayer chapel, and I was sitting on the floor a couple days into it, and I just began to weep because I could see what we were made for, but we didn't have it here. And it was still so overwhelming going, God, I can see what you created us to be. And like, God, and I just began to pour out my heart, Lord, I want to see this, and I want to see this. And you said to ask, I just began to pull things out of God. Right? I, things I didn't even know to pray for. I just began to dream with God. What would my family look like? What would my kids look like? What would this church look like? What would New Braunfels I mean, it was just this list. I poured myself out before the Lord and thinking, I'll never see this in my lifetime. So Wednesday, we're sitting in that prayer chapel, and the Lord said, I want you to go sit that same spot. And I'm just sitting in that spot, and then my history begins to replay. And he goes, you remember when you sat here? And you poured out your heart, crying to see something in your lifetime. He says, what do you see now? And I said, I see that we surpassed it years ago. And he says, you now have an inkling. And he did this with his fingers. You have an inkling what I created you for. You have an inkling what that church was created for, what those people were created for. And he says, but this is my intention. And he says, I want you to step into this, not the inkling you have. Because it's going to cause you and you're going to need to go further and dream bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger than you've ever dreamt before. And you know what came through in my mind? Your faces. You know what came through my mind? Your children's children. You know what came through my mind? Our great-great-great-grandchildren. So I said, well, Jesus is around the corner. If he is, well, great, we're all going to be there with him. But what if he didn't come back for 10 generations? My responsibility is to steward something until he comes back. And he will come back and look for faith in the room. But until he comes back, my responsibility is to make sure that 10 generations from now have something bigger and better than what we have. The revelation of the heart of the Father. A whole city that actually knows Jesus and glorifies Him. Do you know during the Welsh revival that people in the streets, the hospitals emptied out, the prisons emptied out. Why? Because people were being so radically touched by the Holy Spirit in the prison cell and the hospital spells. It just it emptied out. They said that as people left the meeting where Evan Roberts was preaching the gospel and things were happening and they would go along their pathway and all of a sudden people were fall, had already fallen out in the streets. They never made it to the church meeting. They had no intention. I've read through the history. They had no intention of going to the church meeting because Evan Roberts' church was not a big church. But because what God was doing, the yes in the hearts of the people, suddenly the nation of Wales got touched. People who weren't even near the church, falling out before the Lord, crying out in repentance, giving their hearts before the Lord, being healed, saved, and transformed, everything the gospel has. When's the last time we saw that here? I haven't seen it in New Braunfels. 
This nation's seen it. But you're right. I'll just say this. I have seen it. And this. I saw it when I left the mountain and began to prom- take the promised land that God's designed for me. What about you? I shared with you last week who was all, uh, if there anybody wasn't here last week, you'll have to listen to the full story online. But I shared about how when in 2016 I went to uh, Thailand and then Singapore with Global Awakening and the very first night of um, the conference, we were a ministry team. Uh, when Bill and Randy laid hands on us, I went into an open vision. It had to do with the redigging of oil wells. Everybody kind of tracking with where I'm at. Again, if you don't have the full story, listen to it. So on Tuesday, we're actually, I said Thursday, but on Tuesday, we're in a, a Leaders Network event. And the Spirit was all over us. We laughed, we laughed for two solid hours. Like the Holy Spirit just grabbed a hold of us. We were, we were drunk. <laughs> Like Bill Johnson says, I know that's got bad connotations in the word, but what other better word can you use? And, uh, and we were just there. But somebody says, talked about the oil's going to flow again or something like that. And I just went into this replay of that vision that I just told you all last week. Except for in the scene where it's drilling down and then suddenly the drillers run into a hard rock and the drill just begins to spin on top of the rock. It can't punch through it. And then all of a sudden the workers are looking at you like, this wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't part of the vision. This wasn't part of the dream. Like they're looking at one another and all of a sudden as I see Jesus walking onto the battlefield. Well, it's an oil field, but it's a battlefield. And he has, a, he has his sword on his hand and he goes, I'll take care of this. I will pierce the heart of the earth and nothing will stop me. And he pulls out his sword like this and he says, pull up the pipeline. They pulled up the pipe and then all of a sudden he turned it over this and it's like he ran and he jumped in a mighty thrust into the ground like this. And when it pierced the heart of the earth, then he turned it like this, like a key. And I heard the Lord say, the sword of the Spirit is the plumb line of the kingdom in the season that is necessary. What's a plumb line? A plumb line hangs down and it tells you how the walls are supposed to be straight. Everything is square according to a plumb line. Reminding me of the, the word I got in 2014 when we were having opposition to where we were moving from our team. Good-hearted people who love Jesus, they love Jesus to this day. And I bless them. I love them so much. But they didn't see what I saw. And so it was kind of like, hey, we're a little concerned where this thing is going. And so I went to the Lord in December 2014 and said, Lord, I'm not going to be part of a church split. But I know what you've called me to do. I'll hand them the church and I'll go plant what you called me to do. And the Lord says, be very careful. He takes me to Zechariah chapter 4. In Zechariah chapter 4, it says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, this will be accomplished. It says, mountains will be made like valleys, right? And then valleys will be made. We sang that song earlier. It'll be, made, it'll be a plain before you of what you're establishing. But what gripped my heart in that story, he says, look at my servant Zerubbabel. Who was Zerubbabel? He was the one that was sent before Nehemiah. Nehemiah came and rebuilt the walls of the city, but Zerubbabel came and had the mandate to rebuild the temple, which is the church. He says, I put the plumb line in his hands. And the Lord told me, there's only room for one plumb line. I put it in your hands. You lay it down, I'll never put it in your hands again. See, God's kind and he's a gentleman until he's not. Because he's righteous. He's serious. He's deadly serious about what he wants on the earth. He's sovereign 
that he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the city of New Braunfels and in the region surrounding it. And when he said, the sword of the Spirit will become the plumb line by which I will pierce the heart of the earth. I just saw this, that there is places in people's heart that underneath it, there was a cry out to God, but events had happened in your life. Like there was this hard rock that was capping and it was almost like you're in a cave and it was like you're echoing back to you. Like, Lord, do you hear me? And it was echoing back and you didn't know if the voice was getting out to you. And I'm here to tell you that the Lord heard you in your cry. And he brought out the sword of his spirit. It says, I will pierce the heart of the earth, but I must first pierce the heart of my people and remove any obstacle that would keep them from actually releasing my kingdom. What mountain are you in? What rock, what obstacle have you allowed to actually cover your heart of a yes? It's time to step into your promised land. The Lord is going to pierce the heart of the earth so that the flow of his oil would flood through the streets. Thursday night, Benny Leapshire is preaching. He's, he's the one who founded Jesus Culture. An incredible message, but there's this point where he talked about the oil of God again. And the moment he said the oil, I just went into this encounter with the Lord. I don't remember 99% of it. All I know is I was gone in the Lord. A couple things I do remember. First, I was just doing like this. And this kept me in the mind, this is what oil wells do. And then the next thing was, is I just started shaking like this. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? He says, the previous season you were full of me and you were full of me. But I want to shake you. I want to push down deep. So I can fill you to overflowing in this season. See, it's not me just telling you what you need to do. I'm telling you what I and my house are going to do. You've got to make a decision what you're going to do. It's an invitation for encounter. I can't teach you how to have my exact encounter because I can't teach you my pursuit. I can't teach you my surrender. I can't teach you the things I know in that regard. You have to have your own pursuit. You have to have your own surrender. All I'm supposed to do is give you an invitation to have an encounter with the Lord and let the encounter be what the encounter is. If it's visions, let them be visions. If it's shaking, let them be shaking. If it's that you're so held in peace, like I was in 2010, February 2010, the Spirit came upon me and I did not shake, but it was the whisper that Elijah heard. JJ, why you persecute me? And the fear of the Lord came, and I just recognize it now, even now. And with the fear of the Lord was the peace. Because finally, it wasn't about my effort. I'd carried a burden for the city and didn't know how we were going to do it. And the Lord says, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to do it. I've already ordained it. I just need you to rest with me. This place of intimacy. So some of you might just have this peace that's beyond your ability to understand that's going to wash over you. But what do you got to do? Receive it. Don't throw the stone back up and say, nope, I don't want what they got. Benny, the oil of the Lord's flowing and I'm beginning to have this encounter. When I came, she almost fell over there. When I came out of the encounter, and I'm going to say this. 
I want to be really careful because the Lord told me to share these encounters. But I'm also cognitive that sometimes we can share encounters where people are like, oh, geez, only the holy saints or whatever can have that. Like, I'm trying to make you have the exact same encounter. This is my experience. I've discovered my experience with the Lord is always, always trumps the theories that people have about God who've never experienced him. They're still stuck at the mountain or still stuck in Egypt. But I came out of this encounter and all I could speak in was tongues. And I was feeling his pleasure. And I think it was my sister-in-law, Catherine, came up and she said something. I don't even know what she said. And I just, I respond, but I'm, I'm thinking in English. But I responded to her, Shandara. And she's like, and she's like, come again? I'm like, Shandara. Why, why don't you understand me? Like, is what I'm thinking in my head. She's like, <laughs> Kelly comes sitting next to me. And, she's, and, and we're just sitting there in the room. And, I, and I, by this point, I was able to open up my eyes and kind of look around. And here's our teams over here on the right. And my first thought was like, oh, where's Matt at? So I turned to Kelly. She's like, you okay? I said, yeah, where's Matt at? Except for it was something in tongues. You know, some, I don't know what it was. I can't reproduce it because it's not, you know what I mean? And she's like, okay. And she goes, you do realize you're not speaking in English right now. And I'm like, the total dependency upon him to interpret in the hearts of people around you. I feel like the Lord says this. My people are going to step into a promised land. And we're so worried about speaking Christianese or not Christianese or this or that. And it's like, no, no, no. He's just going to give this language of love. Because the sword of the Spirit is the plumb line by which he will pierce hearts. And you're just going to begin to speak and what comes out. And I'm not, it could be English, it could be Spanish, it could be German, it could be Russian, or it could be in an angelic tongue. The point is this. What begins to flow out of you will pierce the hearts of the people around you because it was sourced from him, not from you. Yeah, the one phrase we kept getting was Shah. Um, it was, we were like, oh, this is yes. Matt looks up Shah. And in, the, in Arabic, it's actually an incomplete, incomplete phrase, like almost like a participle for he will. Because we kept talking and like this, I'm like, Shah. And they asked me a question. If it was no, I'm like, no, nah, nah, nah. or something, whatever it is. But it was like, no, are we supposed to do this? I'm like, Shah. But really what it is, is he will. Are you supposed to take the promised land? He will. Shah. Are you supposed to be an influence in your business? Shah. Are you supposed to place in, step into a place of be- deeper trust with him? Shah. He will. That's the answer. He is the answer. He will do it according to his heart. All he's looking for you, it says, I don't understand it. It looks weird. Stephen and Matt had to carry me to the car. There goes the dignity out the window. It's like, whoa. I don't care what the world thinks of me. Because I found the one who's cleansed me from the inside out. It's only by his blood. I'm going to finish it with this. Does everybody know who Lou Engle is? If you don't know, you can look him up. L-O-U, Engle. 
um, he um, has been instrumental in the intercession movement, especially raising up a generation, the next generation of, of prophetic intercessors. Bill Johnson was telling the stories. His uh, wife, Benny, passed away earlier this, this July. And um, he said that Lou gave him a call probably like June, maybe, maybe a couple weeks before Benny died. And, and Lou just begins to tell the story. Bill, I had this open vision where I was, saw the Sacramento River. And immediately I heard Sacramento River. And he says, Bill, I remember you telling me a story about the place on the Sacramento River where all of a sudden the water starts to turn and it looks red. And that's where the fishermen all gathered around because that's where the fish all gather and people just pull out fish by the numbers on this place. And he says, and Benny, uh, she was known for really two things, joyful intercession, because intercession does not need to be a drag. It should be joyful what you're bringing to the Lord. The other side of it, though, was is that she wrote a book on communion. Power, the power communion, you need to get it. So incredible. And he says, I know I'm supposed to come have you and Benny lead, lay hands on me because there's something I think the Lord's commissioned me to step into that the next revival is going to be a communion revival. So he flew out, got about 20 minutes with him because Benny was really weak, but they laid hands on him. So Bill's telling this story. We've been having a conversation about what we were going to do for Easter, or not Easter, Christmas, because it lands on a Sunday. And Saturday night, I just kind of, what's that schedule look like? And I went into a vision early this morning where um, over the Sacramento River is the, it's called the Sundial Bridge. It's this really beautiful deal. It's got like mainly glass and then like some granite that kind of runs through it. But then it's got this gigantic sundial that goes up and then these, these huge tension bars or uh, wires that come down. And so we were there on Wednesday, walking across it, standing in the river, watching fishermen fish. And so all of a sudden, we didn't have a clue, and then Bill tells us a story. This morning, I have this vision, and I'm standing in that same spot on the Sundial River. What's the Sundial? tells you the time. On the Sacramento River, Sacramento, Sacramento River. And I'm looking at this, and then Lou Engel steps next to me, and he says, I told you it was time. I came out of it, and I knew immediately. <laughs> I feel now just this love of the Father says, I want to see families saved, not just one person, but their whole household was saved. And he says, on, on Christmas, you're going to do something on Christmas morning. It's going to be a communion service. It's going to be the celebration of Jesus. But it literally, there's going to be people here that are going to come, and whole families are going to be saved. And maybe it starts with one, and they go home. But it's going to start this communion revival. And as this begin to pictures, it's the body and the blood of Jesus. It's the sacraments that actually brings power. Coming into agreement with what was poured out. And so I told our team this morning, I said, I just, I just have this right now. We're going to begin. We do communion the third Sunday of every month. But I feel like we're going to talk about what it looks like. We're supposed to make it more available than we have every single Sunday. We have it on the corners of the stage right now, but I feel like the Lord says if we're going to enter into the communion revival, maybe it's something we do every Sunday for the rest of eternity. I don't know. But we're going to step into something because I felt like here's the start of the plumb line. Why are you here this morning? 
What did you come for? I don't think there's a wrong answer. But I don't think what you came for is what you really were here for. I think you were here to hear testimonies in history and a conversation that says, hey, it's time to leave the mountain that you're comfortable with. It's time to step into the fullness of healing. We've got so many prophetic words about healing, being a house of healing, signs, miracles, and wonders, uh, creative miracles. And by the way, we have a prophet that's coming, two prophets with, with Isabel and Thrain that are coming this next weekend. It's a sundial moment. It's a time moment where God's going to do something that we've never seen in the history of our city before. And I believe that New Braunfels suddenly, I had so many words this week, they found out we're from New Braunfels and the rivers and the source of the rivers. And it was just like these words began to come back talking about New Braunfels and St. Marcus, you will become the heart of, the, of Texas. I had this years ago. Saw, saw a, a, the silhouette of a man. Over the head was written Austin. Over the feet was San Antonio. Obviously, government. San Antonio is an international city, so this is the gospel going out. But over the heart, I saw San Marcos in New Braunfels. And, and, and literally, I could see the unoxygenated blood running into the lungs and the heart and the oxygenated blood coming out from it. And the Lord says this. He says, I will reach the governmental and I will reach the nations, but it will only come from those that come from the Father's hearts. We, we, we carry something here that can set destinies in motion. So I just want you to stand with me. I've been asking the Lord what He wanted to do. I told the worship team I felt like we may need to come back into a song. And let's be real honest, we're going to take the time to do it, Okay. It's a sundial moment. I'm just going to ask the team to come back up, but I feel like as they come back up to, to lead us in worship, it's an invitation for each of you to choose today what promised land you're going to step into. Ah, I, I forgot this. Let me come up on the platform. Um, I just want to share this because I felt like the, the house of healing. So we were, they had a prophetic artist. I was walking by, and you may not be able to see it. Hopefully the live stream. Actually, I'll hold it, Brian, if you can get a screenshot of that or just whatever too. So if you go back and watch it, you'll be able to see it more. And I'll leave it up here if you want to come take a picture of it. But it was a prophetic art, and I walked by, and it gripped me immediately because I just saw the hands of healing that was coming upon this little boy, but let me read this testimony. It says this, Three years ago on a freezing winter night, my dear friend and colleague was brutally attacked and left for dead by one of the youth we served in a youth treatment program. She texted one of our friends a few days before her attack with scriptures she was believing God for, for her protection, such as God being the covering of her head in her back. Had God failed her? Had he simply not come through? As she battled for her life in a coma, I felt led to go to war for her life through paint, crying out to God for a miracle. And I saw God picking her up from the ground and healing her brain. I didn't know how to paint the image I was seeing, but step by step, he showed me over the next three months. And I surrounded the canvas with the promises that she had been praying for in the days before her attack. And when I didn't know what colors to start with, God spoke to me in different ways in dreams and through the Bible. 
When it came time to paint the head, I painted the brain underneath and asked God where there needed to be more brain matter or brain connections, and I painted those on the painting as I prayed. And the next layer, I painted the words of truth that would counter every lie and trauma and lead to freedom and healing. Though there were many months of healing, God heard the prayers of thousands and miraculously healed my friend. His hands are the gates that surround us, and he truly can heal us and set us free from every physical trauma, every psychological trauma, and every injustice. May this painting remind you that every lie, brain injury, and past abuse or trauma can be healed by the one who protects us from all harm and breathes life into every dead place. Now, what's cool on the flip side, it's got the image of her brain before the healing and after the healing. I want you to look at it. This one is all dark. Over here, after he healed, her, her brain lit up. And what I felt like the Lord says is this, it's time sometimes to leave the mountain of where you've been at is you need healing from the trauma of the mountain. But it's time to leave Egypt. It's time to leave the mountain. And the God who loves you is literally going to lay hands on you and bring healing to your mind, your will, your emotions, to the physical ailments that have been within you. I feel like the Lord is going to heal. I, just, I kept seeing this and the pictures of people with brain tumors being healed just looking at this. People with uh, dementia just being healed from, from the this idea of the image. People specifically with uh, like autism and different things, brain issues, PTSD. I was like, it's just something happening. And it reminded me that the first healing I ever saw was in that same year, that trip to Bethel, 2012. And during worship, they had prophetic artists and this woman painted this gigantic eyeball. It was beautiful, but it was this eyeball. And afterwards, I think it was Chris came up and said, hey, Valton, um, I feel like the Lord has got a testimony. Does anybody, that this, this painting touched you. And this woman starts screaming in the back of the auditorium and she comes running up and she tells her testimony. I don't remember who it was, but a family, a woman family member was completely blind at home. And the Lord had told her, take a picture of the painting and text it to the family members at home and have them show it to her. How do you show a blind person a picture that they can't see? But by faith, she's like, yes, she takes it. Immediately when they put the phone before this woman, her eyes opened up immediately. A thousand miles away, by the way. What if we just encountered him in this moment and he healed your eyes? He healed your brain. He healed your heart. He poured vision into you. He healed your disappointment. He pierced through the heart of the rock to get to the most important thing to him, which is your heart underneath that's full of his oil of intimacy. Shut. I just got this picture this morning that that the oil began to pour out. And it's like where the enemy actually poured out a flood, you do know that oil floats on top of water. And what I felt like was the enemies tried to flood some people in this room with doubt or fear in different circumstances. But the Lord's pouring his oil out this morning and it's going to cover over what the enemy meant for evil. And all you're going to have is actually a high octane fuel of your testimony. So let's just go into worship. Father, come. Let's just kill those lights, guys, too. Let's get... Father, come. Position your heart right now. Would you just begin to position your heart to pull out of God? Yes. 
the poor of God, the dreams. Would you just dream with God right now? In fact, for those that need a healing in your brain, that's what you put your hands on your own head right now. And I just want you to release it. I come into agreement. The hands of healing. Let's just begin to worship Him. So I feel like we're supposed to stay here in this place a little bit longer. But if anybody needs to be able to go, you'll be released to in a second. But I'm going to have a few of our team. I just feel like it's not that, that our team that went to Bethel is any more special than anybody else, but there's something we received out of the six of us that we want to impart. So if you want a release of impartation for more, we want to pray for you. Erica had a word of knowledge about rotator cuff, right rotator cuff being healed. Is, any, is that anybody in the room you have a rotator cuff that needs to be healed? Okay. Chris, yeah? Yeah? It happened this morning? Or does it need healing? Okay. So release that word to them. God wants you to go pray. Pray for them. But there's going to be an invitation for more. Um, felt like the Lord said, share two more testimonies because I didn't get to it. Because I feel like there's hunger in the room for more. I, I can't remember what year it was. I was in Orlando, Florida for a Voice of the Apostles. And my daughter, uh, oldest, had gone with me. And... Um, because Orlando is close to Tampa Bay, uh, that had been the first time that Randy Clark had had uh, Rodney Howard Brown come speak in one of the events because of proximity. And if you don't know the history of the Toronto blessing and what outpoured in the 90s, the night before Randy went to Toronto, Rodney Howard Brown is the one that laid hands on him and just sparked this thing. And so uh, Randy had said, the Lord told him it's time to honor what's been so you can move into what's going to be. And so uh, there was an auditorium, probably, you know, three or 4,000 people. And uh, Rodney says, I feel like I'm supposed to lay hands specifically on the ministers first. So we're all lined up at the front for impartation. And Rodney says, before I do this, people have accused me of pushing, which is something we've never done or would never do. He says, so now I begin to lay hands on people with my pinky. So when you know why I'm doing this, you'll understand what it is. And if God's going to touch you, and you're, it'll happen. And so I'm sitting there lined up, waiting for, and I can, you know, the line's coming this way, and I can see out of my peripheral people going down. So I'm just preparing my heart, ready for more. And right before he got up, the Lord says, were you serious about wanting more at any cost? I said, yeah, I don't care what it looks like. And he goes, okay. Rodney gets in front of me, barely touches me with his pinky. And it was literally like somebody picked me up like this and threw me back literally six rows. And I was down for a good hour and 15 minutes, hour 30. The children's people had to bring my daughter to me. And she found me on this in the floor, just, you know, in an encounter. And when I came out, my first thought was, oh, my God, I killed somebody. Because I remember some of the catchers were smaller than me. It's like, it's like was there anybody underneath me? That's my first thought. But the guy who was going to catch me came up to me. He waited and prayed over me for an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, and said, I was going to catch you. And the Lord said, move away and he says I watched you literally like somebody I picked you up and threw you back let me tell you what the fear of the Lord increased the fear of man decreased in that moment why am I telling you this when you say yes to the Lord I'm not saying he's going to pick you up and throw you but I needed 
I needed to know the hand of God in a way that said, He's far bigger than I am. And in His love and His sovereignty, He moved me to show me that if He moved my body, He can move any obstacle in front of me. Eight years ago. One final testimony. Before we were baptized in the Spirit, Kelly went to a women's retreat. If you're familiar with the prayer garden off of I-10, um, in, in Kerrville, Max Greiner is a, is a prophetic artist, like a worldwide known, makes incredible things. And that's his land. That's what he, he, he's supposed to do. Well, the women's retreat that came on is the first time he'd ever invited a group of pe- private pe- or people to come onto his private land. And uh, it, it was a time of impartation where it was like this bluff and there's like this cavern, you know, uh, that's kind of in front of it. And these ladies are standing kind of like around the edge of this. And he says, we don't have a grid for this, by the way. I still believe that this was all heretical. And the Lord tells, uh, or Max says, the Shekinah glory resides on my property. He says, I can't explain why. It just does. And if you want an encounter with him, I'll pray for you. But you have to be willing, and he's going to do what he's going to do. So Kelly's telling the story. Um, it was dead still. No wind's blowing. And he begins to pray, and the wind starts whipping up into a tizzy, just like it did on the day of Pentecost. Hair's blowing every which way, and the Shekinah glory comes flowing in and wrecks these women, and they're covered, I'm kidding not, covered in gold, gold flakes. When she came back home and says, I had an encounter that I can't explain that defies everything that we thought we believed. And I'm like, did you really? Oh, me a little face. And she goes, no. She does this and shakes out in my hand gold. Sometimes God does things that defy our expectations so we can put our expectations in what He wants to do and not the limitations of humanity. So I just felt like this morning, if you need an impartation, I don't even know if we can make this organized. I'm going to trust y'all to be organized. But Matt and Erica, Kelly and I, Stephen and Catherine are going to lay hands on you guys. And we're just going to see what the Lord does. Okay? If you want that, come forward, form a single line. If you feel like it's time, I got what I came for, and you've got an appointment, we just release you. We bless you. There's no judgment in that whatsoever. We, we just release you to, to have an incredible day. Take somebody to lunch with you and get ready for Isabel. Because something Isabel and Thrain is going to release is going to transform. We're going to get a a level of clarity in our mandate that we've ever had before. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.